seated. Amen. And as you're having a seat, we're going to go ahead and allow our children to be dismissed to Children's Church. Brother Nick is back there at that uh, door waiting for the children, so y'all are welcome to go at this time if you want to go. Except for my kids, you have to go. I said if you want, my kids have to go. They've been they're too much. Um, oh, the blood of the Lamb. It's precious, is it not? Amen. Uh, this morning we'll be looking in Psalm 23 and Psm 78 for our text. If you want to find that in your Bible, we'll also have it up on the screen here. I got to get settled. Did y'all notice that the words messed up a few times while we were singing this morning? No. I'm the one to blame. All right. I'm the one to blame. Brother Will is out with his mom, um, Debbie. They, they're, they're taking care of her in Somerville this weekend. Of course, she suffered a stroke a few months ago. And then um, Brother Sam, he's been battling shingles. And uh, he was able to tough it out last week. But he had a flare up. And he said, man, I'm in a lot of pain. And so... Uh, they weren't able to be with us, so we can be praying for them as, as they're not with us this morning. Uh, but uh, that, uh, that leaves an opportunity for your pastor to do the words, and it leaves an opportunity for y'all to get confused while we're singing. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is uh, as long as we're singing from our hearts, that's what is the real issue, right? Um, in Psalm 78, actually, uh, it says that uh, there's this moment whenever it says that the people flattered him with their tongue or with their mouths, but their hearts weren't in it, and that's the thing that the Lord wants, is he wants our hearts to be in our worship, in our service, when we're singing songs, when we're praying to him, he doesn't want us just to come in and, and put on a good show, no, he would rather us be broken and contrite, as David says over in Psalm 52, a broken spirit. Before the Lord is much better than one who comes in proud, happy, look at what I'm doing. And uh, I am I'm confident in this, that I am gathered with brothers and sisters who worship the Lord from their heart this morning. I am confident of that. Uh, let's do this this morning. Let's bow uh, before the Lord. Uh, and then we'll get into the message of his word. Lord God, you love us, and your love is not lip service, your love is action, your love has been revealed throughout time to your people, Lord, but it has been most expressly displayed. When your son Jesus uh, took on flesh and blood and laid down his life for us, his blood poured out, and as it did, he cried, Father, forgive them. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gift of your son, and we thank Jesus for the gift of his life. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for the demonstration of your love, that your love is action, not words. 
Uh, as we are gathered here today, Lord, we, we do honor you. But, Lord, we also come uh, uh, with a prayer that says, Lord, we, we want to be fed. We want to be nourished. We want the bread for today. So, God, we pray and we ask that as we go to your word that you will nourish us this morning. And then, of course, we're not just going to be gathered here this morning. We're going to be back tonight. We're going to sit before you. And, Lord, we ask for you to nourish us then as well. But for this time and for this purpose, Lord, we pray, we ask that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, whatever you need to speak to us individually, Lord, whether it's correction or encouragement, uh, comfort, consolation, uh, Lord, whatever it is that you need to speak, we want to hear your voice. We want to receive that which you have for us today. God, I pray and I ask that... Uh, uh, my hope, as I look out, is that everybody knows you, they trust you, they have surrendered to uh, your son Jesus, his, his liberating rule over their lives, and they're filled with your spirit. But if there's any t here today who do not know you, trust your son Jesus, and are filled with your spirit, I pray that today would be a day that they would uh, receive so great salvation. Uh, but Lord, for all of us who are in the faith, we pray and we ask that you would equip us so that we could go from this place, uh, continuing to strive as disciples of Jesus, able and equipped to make disciples of Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. One of the most uh, captivating images in scripture, in my estimation, is that of a prepared feast in the midst of one's enemies. Of course, this image is found in Psalm 23. See, after speaking of the green pastures and the still waters, David articulates the Lord's abiding presence and abundant provision, not in a safe, secure place, but in the very threat of danger. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Of course, you and I are not always concerned with the enemies of the like the warrior David had. I hope not anyways, right? But we do feel threatened, do we not? You may feel this in various ways as individuals. Uh, threats to your... Uh, your physical well-being, uh, threats to your emotional or mental well-being, uh, threats to your spiritual well-being. Uh, yeah, we feel it in various ways as individuals, but also I think right now at this particular time in the life of Friendswood Baptist Church, we, uh, we see ourselves in a bit of a threat. Do we not? Um, over the last few weeks, I've been sharing with y'all, but uh, some of y'all haven't been here or some of y'all are new and, um, you know, 2023 was a very, very hard year for Friendswood Baptist Church. Um, we, we had a lot of loss in our church and, um, and whenever you experience a lot of loss for various reasons, people passing, uh, people moving or moving on. 
Uh, whenever that starts to happen, uh, usually, uh, you know, alarm whistles start going off, right? The, the red siren starts going, and, and nobody's going, hey, we're just going to continue trusting in our Lord. Panic begins to set in, and people begin to think, what are we going to do? And, and I can just say, people don't do that. I know that I was beginning to do that. Going before the Lord as though I needed, I needed to figure it out. What needs to be done? How do we fix this? Where, where do we go from here? So yeah, we're not always concerned with the Moabites or the Philistines like David was concerned with. But we have our own pressing threats. Our own present dangers. Now, typically, when under threat or when facing uncertain times, the last thing one might think of is sitting down and feasting on a meal. Could you imagine if you're watching one of those Hollywood blockbusters in which, uh, you know, uh, the world was uh, 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 at war, maybe aliens had come down or, or whatever it is, you know, whatever great thing that they had, maybe the robots, AI had finally risen up and people are running for their lives and they're trying to figure it out. Could you imagine in the threat of such, such danger there just being a group of people sitting down at a table feasting? People would not only think that seems inappropriate, it would also seem irresponsible, would it not? You're sitting down in the midst of this? No. But this is the image that we need to have in our mind when David articulates and says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, it's much like uh, that great text over there in Romans. Romans chapter number 8. And as uh, Brother Mitch said uh, last week, that's a great, uh, a great uh, text, uh, the book of Romans in, in general. But, uh, but here's what Paul says uh, Whenever he gets down, he says, uh, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? And then Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Ah, no, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then Paul says, for I'm persuaded, I'm convinced, I'm convicted, I'm assured, I'm confident in this. That neither death, nor life. Uh, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, 
Much like David said, in the midst of the threat, I am sitting feasting at a table in the midst of my enemies. So yes, we would typically think that it would be, it would be uh, inappropriate or even more irresponsible to sit and feast. Would it be irresponsible for you and I as friends of Baptist Church to sit down and uh, be assured that God has a bountiful feast to nourish us? When, uh, like Thursday night, the trustees and I are having a budget meeting. And uh, in an uncertain economy, having a budget meeting can produce some worry and some fear. Uh, gladly, I'll tell you, we have mature, patient folks who do not rush to worry and they don't give in to their fears. Uh, they don't panic. They don't hit the panic button. Uh, but in uncertain times, definitely people would say, we need, to get figured, we need to get this figured out. We need to stay up all night. We need to crunch the numbers. We need to figure it out. It would seem, even in light of that, you're going to tell me instead of working on the budget, we're going to sit down and feast at the table? Get real, man. Get real. However, as your pastor, I've shared with you and I'll continue to share with you today that it is in this season that we find ourselves in as Friendswood Baptist Church that I strongly believe that the Lord is inviting us to his table. He wants us to feast in his presence. He wants us to come receive that which, with which he will nourish our souls. As we do so, he invites us to experience that he is not a God of scarcity, but abundance. He is not a God of anxiety, but a God of peace. And he is not a God of self-preservation, but of selfless love. And this is what we hope to do through our discipleship intensive this weekend. Uh, if you are not aware, uh, today we are not only meeting this morning, but we will gather back tonight. Uh, last time we had a discipleship intensive, we met on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a Monday night. This time, it's just Sunday morning and Sunday night. But we're going to gather back this evening for, uh, for, to, to practice our faith. It's my hope this morning, it's my desire to assure you, what I want you to know is that there is a table prepared for us. That's, that's what I want us to, to, to understand. I want us to get the vision that there is a table prepare, prepared for us, and it is full. Right? It is full of everything that you and I need at this present moment. There's a table prepared for us where, where the cups are not, uh, they're, they're not on the last drop. They are brimming and they are filled to the top, about to overrun. That's what I want you and I to get a vision of this morning. And then as we gather back tonight... We could say it like this, this morning we're going to set the table, and as we gather back tonight, it is our hope that we will be able to be sat, be anointed, and feast. So, uh, you might be asking, 
yourselves, what is this table that is before us? Well, I'm going to get to that in a few moments. I'm going to articulate what that table is. But before I get to unpacking what we mean uh, that there is this table that, that we are invited to feast on, I want us to consider this psalm that we've talked about. Psalm 23, I want us to consider it in light of Psalm 78. Are you familiar with Psalm 78? Well, let me ask you this. Are you familiar with Psalm 23? Could, could you probably quote it for me right now? Nobody's going nobody's gonna to hop to? You, you babies? Scaredy cats? I'm just joking. Yeah, we're probably not as familiar with Psalm 78 as we are with Psalm 23. Uh, for one, Psalm 78 is a lot longer than Psalm 23. Uh, it has 72 verses as opposed to six. So that's, that's right there off the bat. Popular, unpopular test. Uh, this one's shorter. I'm going to go with that one. I can, I, can, I can memorize that one more easily. Although I'm going to be too scared to, to quote it in front of my brothers and sisters in, in church. But I, but I have it memorized. I'm just joking with y'all. Um, though you might not be familiar with Psalm 78, I, I think we should understand this. We should know this. That Psalm 78... Uh, is this long psalm, as I said, and it chronicles God's covenant faithfulness with Israel. And all along the way, while it's chronicling God's covenant faithfulness with Israel, it's actually also detailing Israel's lack of faith. In fact, in Psalm 78, uh, uh, we find in verses 6 through 7 the, uh, the thesis of the psalm, the purpose of the psalm. And it's given so that the generation to come might know all the mighty works of God, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them the works of God to their children, the covenant faithfulness of God to their children, that they may, so that they may set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their fathers. And who were their fathers? Who were their forebears? They were a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not set its heart aright. And whose spirit was not faithful to God. See, Psalm 78 chronicles God's covenant faithfulness, and it details the lack of faith that Israel had. And it, and it is set to uh, show God's covenant faithfulness from the time that he rescued them out of Egypt, marched them through the wilderness, brought them into the promised land, uh, divided their lot to them up till the time that he anointed and crowned King David. Psalm 78 chronicles this time of God's covenant faithfulness and details the lack of faith of Israel so that the generation to come will be faithful. They will set their hearts aright. They will put their hope in God. They will trust in him. Unlike, unlike those who went before him. And the reason why I want us to see about Psalm 78 is not just because it, it details God's covenant faithfulness, but because there's language in Psalm 78 that, that 
directly, directly applies to the language of Psalm 23. Before we get there, let's re refresh ourselves with Psalm 23, shall we not? Psalm 23. Uh, the psalm is a psalm of David. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want to remind us about Psalm 23, because in Psalm 23, we have a few things that go on. In Psalm 23, we see that the Lord is presented as shepherd. In Psalm 23, we see faith articulated and a table being set. My God can set me a table in the midst of my enemies. And in Psalm 23, covenant faithfulness is realized by the Lord's standing invitation that we dwell in his house forever and ever and ever. And the reason why I want us to uh, remember this is because what we're going to find in Psalm 78 is that there is doubt articulated as to whether the Lord can prepare a table for his children in the wilderness. Psalm 78 verse 19 says uh, one of the details about how God's people lacked faith. And y'all remember this story from the book of Numbers. God had given them manna each and every day. And they grew tired. They grew weary of the manna. And uh, they begin to think, uh, is that the best you can do, God? The best you can give us is manna? And they spoke against God, Psalm 78 says, summarizing it this way. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? This was not, this was not a, a prayer where there was some hope and faith mixed in. This was a prayer that was a challenge to God's authority and to God's ability. Yeah, you can give us manna, but I bet you can't do more than that, God. If you remember the story, God can provide. He, 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 uh, he brought an east wind that uh, brought uh, all these quail to them. Quail so much that they got so sick and tired of quail, they were throwing up quail. Have you ever indulged yourself a little too much on something that made you throw up? If you haven't, well, good for you. Good for you. Man, Sunday afternoon meals are something special, aren't they? 
I used to always love going out uh, for some good Mexican food on a Sunday afternoon and eating about 20 tortillas worth of chips. Have y'all seen that video going around the internet? They said, would you ever sit down and eat 20 tortillas in one sitting? And people are like, I would never. And then they take out some tortilla chips and they put them, you know, they're in those wedge shapes and they put them out and it's about the size of, to of a tortilla. And then you sit there and you think, I've eaten a whole bowl of tortilla chips and salsa before my meal came. That was my appetizer. You used to leave that table with the, like, just feeling like, like, the food's here still, and my belly's here. It's like uh, I, I was waddling out, needing to be rolled out maybe. Um, a lot of it, too, was uh, I, I had to learn this at some point. And I, I would, I, I don't know, I, I did this way too often. I would leave the table and not be satisfied, but be feeling miserably full. Have you ever felt miserably full? Oh, it's so terrible. But I learned, you know, I used to love sweet tea. I grew up drinking sweet tea. And I'm not talking about like we put a spoonful of sugar helps the tea. No, we had like two cups of sugar per gallon <laughs> in the tea that we made. It was some good old southern tea. And, uh, and, we, and, and there was always tea brewed at our house. I mean, uh, you, you, we would have a couple gallons made and they would be gone. And, and there, there, we had this one... This one pot, that one pot that we brewed our tea in, and uh, I always had, but always had uh, sugary sweet tea, and uh, I noticed whenever I stopped drinking tea, and I just had some water with my lunch, I didn't feel so bad. But you know, that didn't always convince me not to eat the meal without the tea. God's people put him to the test. They said, can you prepare a table for us in the midst of this wilderness? I bet you can't. And God said, I can. I can. And they devoured it. And they did not devour it in gladness and joy. They devoured it because they didn't understand that God's a God of abundance and not a God of scarcity. They devoured it because they thought they had, if we don't eat it now, we're never going to get it again. So they shoved it down their throats and they got sick. Psalm 78 asks the question, and it articulates it in a doubtful way. It, uh, uh, it articulates the doubt of the people. Can God prepare us a table? Psalm 78 also presents God as a shepherd. Even though it details time after time after time throughout the long psalm, how Israel questioned God and challenged God and, and just went against God's uh, desires, his decrees, his commands, which were not just these arbitrary decrees and demands. And that's what people get wrong so often. So often people think, well, God's just up there putting us to the test, seeing if we'll, if we'll toe the line. God doesn't give us any command that is not good for us and good for the neighborhood. That's why he gives us the commands that he gives us. Whenever Jesus says it can all be riddled down to this, that you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus is saying, do you not know that the heart of the commands is not to see if you can walk the straight and narrow, but the heart of the commands is that walking the straight and narrow is good for you and it's good for the community. It's life-giving. It's taking care of one another. It's watching out for the other. It's protecting the vulnerable 
and the weak and the marginalized amongst you. It's not arbitrary. Despite the long list of detailed ways in which Israel continued to buck God's authority, to distrust his love, it tells us that God, even in the midst of this, he made his own people go forth like sheep and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Despite Israel's lack of faith, God continued to be faithful and care for his people. So Psalm 78 presents God as a shepherd. And in Psalm 78, it culminates with this. It culminates that God, who is the shepherd, gave his people an under-shepherd. It says, he also chose David, his servant. And he took David from the sheepfolds and from following the ewes uh, that had young, and he brought them, and he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. See, Psalm 78, although it articulates this doubt uh, of Israel, their lack of faith, it presents God as shepherd and it shows his covenant faithfulness in providing for them a shepherd in King David. Psalm 23 is a response, it seems, to Psalm 78. Psalm 23 is King David articulating his faith that he's not the shepherd, he's the under-shepherd. It's David articulating his faith that God is shepherd. And again, I, I have already said, he, he, he presents God as shepherd. And with God as shepherd, not only does God lead us beside the still waters and nourish our soul at the, at the green pastures, but with God as shepherd, we are also able to navigate the valley of the shadow of death. We are, to be, we are led and we are guided when there is threat. And not only with God as shepherd, but with God as host. And that's, that's what Psalm 23 gets to in verse number 5. He's a host and he prepares this table before us. And this table is presented in the presence of enemies. And whereas the children of Israel in the wilderness said, Can God provide us a table in the wilderness? Psalm 23 articulates confident faith in a covenant faithful God and says he prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Faith, not doubt, is articulated and responded to almost as it were to Psalm 78. And then God's covenant faithfulness is presented 
God's covenant faithfulness is presented. See, whenever it says surely goodness and mercy, that word mercy, uh, often in newer translations, it's, it's, it, it's uh, translated loving kindness. And uh, scholars will say that particular word refers to God's covenant faithfulness. It's what God does because he's going to be faithful to his word, to his people, no matter what. No matter what they do. See, some people think that Jesus was this new thing that God started to do. Like before he worked under this system where they had to work for their, their faith or their salvation. And, and then he provided this new system. That's not the good way to read what's going on in, in the text. The good way to read what's going on in the text is God has always been operating under a system of grace. It's always been a system of grace. It's never not been a system of grace. It's always been God who's going to be faithful even when his people are not faithful. And Jesus is the actual, he is the ultimate re uh, revelation of God's faithfulness. It's not a new, like, oh, now, now I got to do something new because you're not getting it right. It's God saying, ultimately, finally, forever, I'm going to show you I am faithful to my covenant that I made with Abraham. And I am going to be the God who rescues you no matter what. So you and I, we should take hope in this because you and I don't get it right all the time. And we don't do it right all the time. And it's not always been done right to us. And whenever you fall short, you know what happens. Guilt, shame, condemnation comes in. Oh no, I can't believe it. God's never going to accept me again. God, this is, I've done it too much. I, this is the big one. This is the big one. And you have to be reminded that God's covenant faithfulness has been revealed all throughout the salvation history that he has presented to us. And it's finally been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And what that means is that any time you and I fall short, we can come before God and we can say, Father, forgive me. And if it's not just lip service, he will forgive you. And what happens whenever wrong's done to us? Because you aren't the only one who does wrong. Other people do wrong and you suffer because of it. Well, it's not... Guilt, shame, condemnation that happens whenever uh, others do wrong and you suffer for it. Although, the evil will try to make you feel that way. Y'all seen what happens to these, these victims of sexual abuse? Every last one of them says, I thought it was my fault. Oh, how twisted. How vile. How deceitful. Oh, God. If that's ever happened to you, it's not your fault. Never was it. That was a bad actor's fault. What happens is not often that we fall into guilt, shame, and condemnation. What happens is we fall into doubt and despair. If this can happen in this world, where is God? How can these things be? How can there be a God in heaven who says that he loved me if this horrible atrocities are happening all around me and they've even happened to me? But God promises us covenant faithfulness 
no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, nothing will separate you from his love. Nothing will separate you from his love. And his covenant faithfulness is articulated in Psalm 23 as a welcome invitation to the host home. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And guess what's always at the house? What is always prepared for you at the house is a table. That's, just imagine this aisle as a table. There's a table set there. And there's not a few scant items on the table. The table is full. The table has every delicacy and delectable that you want on it. I, I sent out a picture on Tuesday in our email, and there was these hands with these grapes and this Kim. She, she said, oh, I just love that image. It's like Jesus is whole, has a handful of grapes. And it's like, not only does he have the handful of grapes, but he's offering them to you. They're not his grapes. Oh, my grapes. He's giving them to you. This table is set and it is filled up with everything that would nourish you. And guess what? Guess what? You didn't have to set the table. He didn't ask you to come and put all the stuff on the table that you need. He says, you come to my table. I will prepare it because I know what you need. You, you, you don't have to get the dishes out and set the table, make the table setting. He, he doesn't invite, ask any of that from you. He just says, hey, come sit down, come sit down, come sit down, come sit down. And he walks around to everybody and he anoints everybody with oil. Which is just this, and there, there's a lot of richness to it because there's different ways in which people were anointed with oil in the Old Testament. But, but one of them is just a, a sign of honor welcoming guest to a, somebody's home to feast in. He says, sit, 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 sit. And, and, and you go, you go in your anxiety. You go, well, I, I, I can't eat all this. Remember what, remember what the proverb said? Be, be careful whenever you sit at a king's house and, and, and that you eat all of his food. Well, I, I'm going I'm to be wise. I'm not going to come in here greedy for too much food. I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to play it cool and I'll eat a, I'll eat a crumpet. Y'all been eating crumpets lately? I don't know where crumpet came from. It just popped into my brain. Uh, I wouldn't want to eat too much. That would be rude of me. It'd be uncouth. Hey, do y'all know something in a ancient Near East understanding? If you walk into a host home and they offer you something and you don't take it, you're not being polite, you're being offensive. Is my stuff not good enough for you? Oh, you've had plenty of food and you don't need anything from me, huh? You're trying to show me that you're better than me. There's a whole lot of connotations to it. But you come and you're invited. When somebody invites you into their home, they invite you to sit down and not lift a finger, but just to receive the bounty that is before you. And I want us to hold on to all these things that I'm saying because... Now I want us to understand what the table is. What table are we going to be invited to tonight? We're actually going to be invited into a couple tables. The first table is this. 
the first table is where we come and we sit before the Lord, and we practiced this a bit in our last VI, but we felt it was necessary for us to practice it again. But where we sit in stillness and quiet before the Lord, and we don't utter a thing because we believe that the table is set. And we don't come to God and say, hey, God, this is what I need. We come to God and we say, God, provide for me, nourish me with what I need. And we're going to do this through a practice where, where we sit before the Lord and, and, and there's going to be some scripture that we read. And we're going to believe that this scripture is that which God has prepared and set on the table and said, here, eat up, eat up. I've prepared this for you. Uh, there's going to be some songs that we listen to. Again, and this is going to be God's way of saying, hey, I, I prepared this melody to, to, to soothe your heart or to make your heart sore or whatever it needs to happen or to break your heart, to crumble you, like, like, like just to make you melt into your seat. Have you ever just needed a song to make you melt into your seat? And I'm not talking about just because the girl broke your heart, right? I'm talking because life is like it is. I've told y'all we've lost a lot. And not only does God want to, 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 to give us rest, he wants to give us healing. I, I would imagine this. Some of us still have some real grief that we haven't even faced from this last year. Because the days move on so quickly. And maybe today we're just going to find, maybe what you're going to find whenever you take a big old bite is God is just going to give you space and freedom to cry. I miss them so much. And I know that they're with you. And I know I have a hope and a, a, an eternal home and glory. But God, my God, this is terrible and it hurts. And I'm tired of not being able to hear them worship with me. Every now and then I'll catch a glimpse of just Sam in my mind's eye. And I'll think, this is not right that I'm not worshiping with my brother. So, the table for one, table number one is going to be us sitting before the Lord and not going, hey God, here, I got a lot of things to say to make you impressed with me, God. Uh, uh, will you welcome me to your table if I have all the things to say? But God, I trust that you have something to say out of your word. You have something to say out of these songs. You have something to say in the still, quiet moment. You will utter and you will speak to me and that will be me be seen. The second table is the Lord's table. The Lord's table. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, I've shared quite a bit from him lately. He's one of my, he's my favorite Old Testament scholar. Uh, I shouldn't say one of my favorites. I just, he has this um, a wonderful imaginative way of looking at the text and, 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 and applying it. But, but, but um, and, and really not just imaginative, but like historically and cu culturally and contextually understanding these things. But... I saw something from him the other day where he talked about, uh, and I, I mentioned it, I think, last Sunday, but where he talks about, like, the, the Eucharist. The Eucharist is, it is a, a meal of abundance. It is Jesus saying, I'm giving you all of me. Here's my body, you can have all of me. Here's my blood, you get all of it. Here's my love, you get all of it. Here's my salvation. Here's my forgiveness. 
Here's my healing. Here's my reconciliation. Here's me. I'm giving you all of me. And so it should be a meal that we receive, not just under the pain of shame and guilt, but a meal that we receive gladly and we re receive it and we say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me the feast of your body and of your blood. And then we'll leave this space and we'll go back to the back and we'll eat a meal together. And Brother Charles, I still don't know what it's going to be. And we're going to feast on that meal together. But also we're going to share with one another what the Lord has provided for us. And it will be like we're eating seconds, not leftovers, seconds. Because here's what we need to know. God doesn't just speak to us through his still, quiet voice of his spirit. Or through songs that the songwriters wrote. Or through scripture that has been preserved for us. Or just through, uh, just through trained Bible teachers. God speaks to us through everyone who is filled with his spirit. And here's why I want to say that. Is because what God gives to you may be so good for you, but it may also be so good for someone else. And if you remember in the church at Corinth, the problem wasn't, the problem wasn't uh, that nobody was speaking. Right? Too many people were speaking, and they were speaking on top of each other. But what Paul wanted to do was order it and say, we, he valued, we need to hear from one another. We need to hear what the Lord's been doing in your life, not just in mine, not just in, in Brother Mitch's whenever he puts the songs together, but we need to hear what the Lord's doing in you, and that's going to be feasting at his table too. So do y'all see the three tables? And I promise you, there is a table set. And so tonight we invite you to come back and to sit down at the table. You don't have to bring anything. The host has prepared it for you. And the host is not me. It's not Miss Terry, as much as we put some time, energy, and effort into it. Our host is our liberating King Jesus. Our host is the Holy Spirit of God. Our host is God the Father who says, come dwell in my house. Sit down at my table. Let me anoint you. Eat up and look at your cup. You can't even, you can't pick it up quickly. You have to bring it to your lips because it's all the way to the top. Irresponsible, inappropriate, nay. Nay. It's exactly what God's inviting us to. And so my brothers and my sisters, we invite you to the table to feast in his presence. With that I say, amen. Will you bow your head, close your eyes. And this morning I'm